We're talking about the believer's security. It's one of those subjects the Bible presents to us, among others, but this is one of those major topics that you need to really be grounded in. To examine for yourself. You can hear what I say, but examine it for yourself. Determine for yourself that you believe this. And if you don't, find out why and search out and find out for yourself. But we're talking about the believer's security. A lot of people mistake the security of the believer as a Baptist message. That seems to be one of the highlights of their church is the eternal security of the believer. Well, there is such a thing taught in the Bible, and it is true. It may be a little different than ways some have grasped it, but it's true. In 1 Peter chapter 1, what a wonderful verse of Scripture to really get a hold of. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has regenerated or begotten us again, that's the new birth, unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, in verse 5, who are kept. you got to like that. Kept, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if necessary, you be in heaviness through many kinds of trials, the trying of your faith and so forth. Think of this again. The Bible says that God has secured us. He birthed us, regeneration, that's new life. Not everybody has that, but the ones that do, he said, and not only has he regenerated you, but he has gone to secure a place for you in heaven. It's called your inheritance. It's a place that's undefiled. It's reserved. And in the last day, when it's over, you'll get to enter into that, and that will be yours forever. Now, he said, in the meantime, while you're on the earth, you are kept. The word kept means preserved. Preserved. Something greater than me and something outside of me has assigned himself to me to keep me. Just like the psalm that says concerning you, he said he will give charge to his angels to keep you in all your ways. Well, that's going to take a whole lot of fear out of my life. I'll work on the other things until it's all gone. That by the word of God, as I understand it, he is delivering me from things I used to be afraid of. There's a lot of people who don't know if they're saved. They've been to church all their life. They hope they are. They really want to be, but they don't feel like they can know. Well, you can know. He said in 1 John 5, he said, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life, that you have it. Now, you may not have a, something in your wallet, in your Bible, that's signed from heaven. You've got to believe this. And if you really believe this, the Bible says you make, you who believe this through faith, you make your calling and election sure. Now, election is a difficult topic for a lot of people. It's a theological truth. 
election says that from the foundation of the world, God chose who would be his children. And a lot of people can't handle that. But it's in Ephesians 1. From the foundation of the world, before there was a world, a choice was made. And whoever God chose, he's going to keep. Remember we said this last week in John chapter 10 and verse 28 and 29. Jesus said in verse 28 that no man shall pluck them, his people, the ones that the Father gave him. No man shall pluck them out of his hand. Somebody will try. It'll certainly seem like it sometime, but he said nobody will. And then the 29th verse said, no man shall pluck them out of my father's hand. That's an interesting study. In Philippians chapter 1, the Bible says, he that started a good work, that was at regeneration. That was when he birthed you into his kingdom. With all your lack of knowledge and all the foolish ways you learned in the world, he brought you to him. And the Bible said, he started a work in you. He started a work in you. The Bible said he that started a good work will finish it. You will make it. If you believe, if you really believe this, your faith will embrace the need and the necessity to live like you are. You'll make, as I said, your calling and election sure. But isn't it good that God said that he will keep you in all your ways? That no man is going to pluck you out of his hand. That's not a license to live any way you want to because the ones that he had chosen have a heart for God. They're not flippant Christians. They're not shallow, halfway, someday Christians. They're people that have had a change of their nature. You've got to remember the word begotten means regenerated. Something from heaven happened to something on this earth that changes it forever. You're born again. You are a new creature in Christ on this earth in the same body you used to have. Actually, with the same mind. It's got to be renewed, but it's the same mind. But renewing the mind is part of that work of God. God who's begun is going to finish it. And the Bible said in Hebrews 7 that he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. What if I told you tonight somebody in heaven is praying for you? Not praying for everybody. Jesus said in John 17, I don't pray for the world. I pray for the ones the Father gave me. There's not a handful of Christians in churches anywhere that can accept that. But it's true. And he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him by Christ, seeing that he ever lives to make intercession for them. And then I read in Psalms 37, in verse 28, For the Lord loveth judgment, that's justice and fairness, and forsaketh not his saints. But they are preserved forever. When God made a choice of you to be his child, as Isaiah said, he has graven you on the palm of his hand, he'll never forget you. That he went to prepare a place for you. And then when he comes back to get you, you will ever be with him. And nobody can ever change that. No system of man, no demonic spirit or activity can change that. God is going to keep his own people. Now, we said the last time that because this is God's work, 
and that he has equipped us and he's going to equip us to be saved. Why is it so hard? Why does it seem to be so difficult for so many people? The magnitude of what is promised doesn't seem to have a big effect on a lot of people. I mean, yeah, save, you know, you know everybody's saved. Everybody's born again. You know, everybody, everybody's saved. <laughs> We're all, but they don't live like it. They don't live like that God is a treasure. They don't live like they hunger and thirst after what's right. They dismiss themselves. They make excuses. They say, well, you know, this new worldly way of talking is like, well, after all, who's perfect? I mean, come on. Give me a, uh, come on, man. And that's sort of a license to live any way you want to and add God to it. And he understands. I mean, after all, nobody's perfect. They live such shallow lives. And yet when you examine that kind of a life in light of Scripture, that won't work. That's not going to work because if God saves you and changes you, he doesn't leave you like that. He changes that. And if that's not being changed, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. There's a struggle. And it shouldn't be that type of thing, but there is a struggle. But listen to this. Matthew 7. Would you go back there? Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is in your heart if you're born again. This is in your heart. You may not fully define it. You may be in a various levels of growth and kind of, I don't really get all of it. Or, boy, this is getting clear. Somewhere in your life as a Christian, God makes sure you see this. He said, enter ye in at the straight gate. Do you see that in verse 13? Enter ye in at the straight gate. And he talks about narrow is the way that leads to life. And what does he say? Few find it. Well, let me ask you a question. Who are the few that will find it? The saints. God's people will find it because God is able to show it to them. God alone can open eyes. Remember he said one time, he said, the reason I speak in parables to these people is because it's not given unto them to know. He said it's not given unto them to know these things. It's given to you. They have eyes to see, but they can't see. They have ears to hear, but they can't hear. They can't comprehend it. They don't get it. But you will, and you do. How? Why? How can that be? Because God only can do that. It is God alone who can give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Like Jeremiah said, man cannot by searching find out God. He can gather facts. He can teach those facts. He can be a school of higher learning and teach accurate facts. But that doesn't mean you know. It doesn't mean your life is an example of those facts in action. So God wants us to know that the way that leads to life is narrow. And probably as much in that same chapter 7 in verse 21 through 23, he says not everybody that says unto me, Lord, Lord. I mean, we learned that in church. We learned to say that. Our kids can say that. I mean, we can write it in a book. We put it in a song. We can sing, Lord, Lord, in a song. But he said, not everybody that says that shall enter into heaven. Who will? The ones that do the will of God. The way is not easy. It wasn't intended to be easy. There are sheep and goats in the church. There are wheat and tares in the church. 
the goats and the tares act like us, it's hard to tell. We can't really tell. But if you believe in the midst of all of that, that you're one of God's people, then you'll live like it. You'll be compelled to live like it. You'll have a divine mandate in your heart that says you must hold the plow and go forward. You must walk away from the old things. You must no longer live in a disappointing way with God. You must do His will. And you can't do His will unless you avail yourself to it. So we're talking about a believer is kept, secured, led, guided, and counseled by God. And without all of that, none of us can make it. At some point in our Christianity, our eyes are going to have to be open to see that God and God alone can start something and finish something that is eternal. Nobody else can. And that if you make it, you made it because He brought you there. You did your best to do what you do, but in the end, He finishes it. He perfects it. And He says to you at the end, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, and so forth. They asked Jesus a question once in Luke 13. They said, Lord, are there few to be saved? They got it. They knew what he was saying. They understood what he was talking about. Are there few that be saved? I mean, the way you're talking, it's not such a great big group of people after all. Remember what Jesus said? He said, strive. The word strive is our word wrestle. Fight. Agonize. Agonizomia. He said, strive. Agonize to enter into that narrow gate. For many will seek and will not be able. But you will. You know why? Because God is able not only to shove you in a narrow place, but get his foot behind you and get you through it if necessary. We will all bow our hearts and our knees before God. We will all give thanks to the Almighty God when it's over because had it not been for him, we would have been left behind. And he that started, folks, is he that's going to finish. Now, there are three things I would call three must that deal with our security. All three of these are involved. They're all involved in our security. In other words, for me to be secure, I need these three things. They all work together. They're like a cord of three strands that Ecclesiastes 12 talks about. And they wrap themselves together. And while you get one strand, it's composed of three and it can't be broken. And this is what a Christian needs to understand because they depend on each other. They complement each other. They are necessary to each other's work. And those three things are the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and your faith. They all work together. Obviously, our text this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, it said we're kept by the power of God through faith. Without your active faith operating, what part of this word are you going to appropriate for yourself? You can't appropriate lofty ideas. I think most traditional churches are based on man's loftier ideas, man's ways, rather than God's ways. And people like it better that way because it's easier and it's less complicated. It doesn't require much. People like that. But let's begin with a word. 
Because the word is all we have to determine what's right or wrong. No wonder the devil wants to get rid of it in our society. The word and the word alone, the Bible, scripture alone. Solo scriptura, that reformation doctrine that says that the Bible alone is sufficient for salvation and holiness. It is a single judge of all that is right or wrong. And the Christian has no other options. It is either according to the word or it's not. It's an either or. It is a black or white. It is a yes or a no. It is an up or down. If they speak not according to the word, they who are speaking have no light. People might like what they're saying and may think, wow, this is pretty good. And there is a way that seems right. But if it's not according to this book, it's a way of death. Bible says if the light that is in you, what you're following, what you're believing, what you have determined is God's way. If the light that is in you is darkness, how can that be? How great, Jesus said, is the darkness. If the light, if what you say, well, I'll tell you what I believe, that's your light. That's how you see things. If the light in you is dark. That's not what the Bible said. Well, you know, you've got your own version of it, but this is what I see. This is how I see it. That's not what the Bible said. That's the way I see it. That's why we got this church here, first church, second church, got Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, Catholics, Assembly of God. We got them on every corner because they all see it different. And we're smart enough to know that they can't all be right. That somewhere all of this division came because somebody had a different version. And we come back and say, well, what does the Bible say? Well, I'll tell you this. I've been around long enough now that I can tell you. There are a whole lot of people in churches who don't want to hear what Scripture says. They don't. They have a system. It works for them. They don't want to change it. It's established. And if you don't want to do it our way, we don't want you here. Is that possible in this hour? It is. The only thing you and I have today from God, the only thing that we have from heaven this morning to determine what's right or wrong is the word of God. This is all we have. This is it. Paul said to Timothy, one thing, preach the word. Whether they want to hear it or whether they don't want to hear it. Whether they like it or whether they don't like it. Preach the word. The only thing God will ever use to correct his people is truth. And Jesus said, thy word is truth. You preach anything else because people like a different version of truth. like to feel better about things. Let's just preach about mushy stuff all the time. Let's just talk about the only important thing is to love. Just to hug and love and to be friendly and kind. That's all it is. Well, love is a wonderful thing. The highest thing on this earth. It just so happens that the Bible says without faith you can't please God. But people like the other way. They like to have options. They like to have scriptural options. Well, you see it your way. I see it my way. Well... You know, the Catholics do it this way. Well, you Baptists do it this way. Well, the president. You know, everybody likes to have an option. And people get to pick and choose. Well, 
And we sing the song, we don't care what church you belong to. Because it really doesn't matter to the average Christian mind. Whether they speak according to this word or not, chances are they wouldn't know. Because they got a Bible, they just never read it. The most popular book in the world, probably the least read. And so it's not like it's a big deal. We like comfort and happiness. Make me comfortable, make me happy, I'll be back and bring my wallet with me. You're welcome. Just make me comfortable and make me happy. Well, you better leave the Sermon on the Mount out of your teaching. Because you're going to upset a whole lot of people. Because Christians don't want to change. And yet the only thing we got to verify what is right or wrong or whether the change is right or wrong is this book. This is all we have. We have nothing else. We have nothing. Without this Bible, there's no sense being here. We can't dream up some noble religious way and because our hearts are sincere and it seems so noble that it must be acceptable to God. He didn't tell us to do that. He just said, this is the way. Walk ye in it. And boy, oh boy, and you get to preaching this and whew. How can we determine what's right or wrong or what's error? You know what Jesus said in Matthew 22, I think verse 29, he said, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures. See, what you're doing isn't right. Who are you to tell me that I am not somebody trying to change your system? I can't. Your system will never change. But I'm going to tell you what's right. As I see it, as I understand, as much as I know about it, I don't know very much, but I know a little bit about it. And this is what's right right here. Like today, there's so much of what people believe is based on dreams, visions, charismatic gifts. Somebody prophesied to me that I was going to be, and then off they go. You know, the Lord showed me in a dream last night, and, you know, it was confirmed. I had this dream. I didn't tell a soul about it. And I got to church, and somebody prophesied the same dream I had. And it showed me winning the lottery. And so I just knew I should go buy a ticket. <laughs> or the Lord showed me that I was going to be a prophet in the church and that everybody should listen. Or the Lord showed me that God visited our church and such a move was about to take place that the whole world was going to come to Shelbyville. Do you really dream, man? Are you going to base all your life now on dreams and visions? Are you going to do that? Not long ago here in America, a few years ago, uh, God's new thing was people started laughing uncontrollably during a serious message. <laughs> And they said this was the Holy Ghost. That's a lie. But people believed it because it was just different. It was a change. Everybody suddenly came back to have. <laughs> and then they started barking like dogs. I saw a video once. A man had a leash. Had a guy. I guess it was his tie. I don't know. That man was walking around the front of the church. And he was barking. The guy behind him was doing this. In a church service. What would I do? I don't know. Probably call the dog catcher. I don't know. I don't know what I'd do. Twice a week we meet. At least for me, it's uh, 
most important days in my life. And my whole reason for being on this earth is what I'm doing. I cannot imagine foolishness like that taking place and people thinking that that's God. But Christians really don't know much about the Bible either. Very few Christians are grounded very much in theology. So they don't know much. They can't prove a whole lot by the Bible. Like my dad. My dad thought that, you know, the Catholic priests all those years they studied. And, and if anybody was going to know the truth, they wouldn't. Therefore, he accepted whatever they said. And I thought, well, Daddy, don't you have a Bible? He couldn't have found Hezekiah in the Bible. He couldn't have found any of the books of the Bible. Hezekiah is a man, is a king, not, not a book. But he couldn't have found any of them. I don't know that he ever opened I never heard my dad in my whole life ever talk about God. He went to church every week. He used the word God, but not in a teaching. Remember that he said in Isaiah 8 and verse 20, if they don't speak according to this word, they have no light. You're the ones that have to determine whether or not what you're hearing is the word of God. I know I've got some degrees and written a few books and all of that, but you can't rely on that. You can't rely on that. You have to be like the noble Bereans. You have to search the scriptures. He's talking about the Old Testament scripture because they didn't have a New Testament then. The book hadn't come about yet. But he said, search the scriptures. That's where you find eternal life. They speak about me and so forth. Paul wrote, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. I could refer you back to that many times, but in Ephesians 5.11, Paul said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. We seem to think that's just down at the beer joint or in some sleazy tavern on the side of some street. But Christians would know better than that. The word to Christians in Ephesians 5 was don't have any fellowship with whatever comes from darkness because its fruit won't be. And a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. The Bible teaches us things like this. Turn to Mark 7. Mark 7. I've been around a lot of Christians in my life who were offended either at what the Scripture says or how I understood it. How I believed it. I remember a lady once was so upset. me. I thought maybe she might strike me. That used to mean hit. She was so mad after service one time because I talked about this dog barking theology is not of God. And this foolishness. And she was beside herself. Because that's how God saved her. I said, Good. I'm glad you're saved. But I still don't believe that, and I, and I never will. No matter what you say, you're not going to change me, because that's, none of that's in the Word. It's like there's no Christmas in the Bible. The word Easter's in there, but it shouldn't be, because it means Passover. And there's no Halloween in the Scripture. There's no, what's coming up, St. Patrick's Day? I think that's a Catholic day, isn't it? Like all the rest of them. But in Mark chapter 7... In verse 7, see what you think about this. Let me get verse 6, because that sort of butts in on it, verse 7. 
He answered and said unto them, because they had asked him about why do your disciples not wash their hand like the tradition of the elders? You know, this is the way it's been. This is how we've been doing it. Jesus said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How be it in vain? The word vain means to be useless, having no value. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for commandments, what? Now my frustration at this point with this verse of scripture is I would like to be able to get all of it, everything out of it that I can, and get it clear and right and simple. Because there's so much here. Because Jesus is saying something to these people then that is so true right now, today, in Christendom in this world and especially in America. He said, what you're doing that you call worship, the way you're conducting your affairs and doing things, it's not according to the Bible. It's according to traditions. Traditions didn't come from God. They came from man. The doctrines you teach. The way you're leading people, the way you're pointing the people, it's not what God gave, it's what man gave. We're told in the last days that men will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside unto fables. And the word fables comes from the Greek word muthos, from which we get our word myth. Fabricated from the mind of man, ideas and ways. A myth. In the scriptural sense, it's the way of error. It's a snare to those that get in the system. Because they get hooked on it. They can't get out of it. We escaped. I did. My soul escaped like a bird out of the snare of the fowler. Something had a hold of me a long time ago that I didn't know and I couldn't see. It arrested me, put me in a state of lethargic deadness, dullness. Taught me that it didn't matter what the preacher said as long as you go to church, as long as you take communion in the Christian church, as long as you've been baptized in water. It's just, you know, that's all. And this was the attitude and the mindset. I don't know what the preacher taught. I didn't have a Bible. I, I didn't care. I was in church and I'm counting on that to be what it takes. None of my lifetime, my mother, my ancestors, except for that one great-great-grandfather who was a Baptist preacher. Yes! I know somewhere he pleaded with God one time, Lord, give me a preacher in this tree. But all my ancestors and all them little dead country churches, they all parked in every week. I know that sounds offensive. I know it does. But the truth is the truth. And they parked themselves in these little churches and the preacher who was hired by the people in the church and he better perform or they will get rid of him. And so he learned how to make them as comfortable and happy as he could. And all my ancestors... They live without the Lord. They live without any of this being truth. They fought and fussed and cheated and lied and stole like people that didn't go to church. They didn't have any faith from God. They couldn't have known what it was to be healed. If you taught on healing, they would fire you. 
God forbid you talk about next week the Holy Spirit or tongues. A Methodist preacher came up one night in the back of the church. I'm right here. He stood this close to me. He said, I'm going to have to ask you to stop. After I've been talking for an hour, he said, I'm going to ask you to stop. You're deceiving these people. They loved the testimony. They didn't like the tongues part. Because they drew a circle around that little system of theirs. That little dead system of theirs. That little man-made system. They drew a circle around and said, if you want to be a part of us, you don't do that. If you do that, out you go. And there's a door, preacher, and I went out that door. You telling me that's God? You telling me that that kind of activity is okay? It's dead. It's darkness. And I cannot understand to this day why people who get in a lot of warfare and you're studying and your kids are growing up and it gets difficult and you keep getting pounded on your headpiece week after week and you think, man, it's same old, same old. And you want out of it. And where do they go? They go back to something like they came out of and it is as dead today as it was then. But they don't care anymore because now it's... At least I got a breather. Them poor souls back over there with Hamilton. They're getting, boy, they're getting killed. They, they ought to call 911. I mean, they're killing them people. And you found your little resting place. A little quiet, peaceful place to rest. No more word. No more moving of the spirit. No more convictions. Because truth of the matter is, you leave where you're free to grow and where you're free to learn and you go somewhere else where your convictions are not appreciated, they won't accept it. You just quit growing. You know, folks, I know what some of you might be thinking. I could care less. I've been a Christian 40 some odd years now, 45 years in June. I've been around the world, big deal. I have met thousands of people I've preached several thousand sermons, been in a thousand different homes, met a lot of people. I know what I'm talking about. I do here. I'm not going back into any system because I'm not happy somewhere that I'm challenged all the time. I'm not going to go back into something that will not allow me to live my convictions. I heard a preacher a few years back. Very large church. And he happened to mention tongues in his sermon. You know, even the word tongues is almost like, oh, no. Don't even read that part of scripture. Don't even open your mouth and stick the thing out. We don't even want to think about it. But it happened. And he said, you may do that, that's your business, but don't do it here. I think, no, wait a minute, whoa, 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 time out. Time out, brother. What did the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 14? It's a gift, isn't it? What about it in there? Like a friend of mine, this dates myself, but years ago, a bunch of us started together, and through the years, everybody scattered and got tired of here, and they went back to where they were. And one brother who was going back, who was a good friend of another brother, 
Well, he went back to another church. And his friend said to him, What are you going to do when the Spirit of God moves on you? You're going to go outside. You're going to run outside in the parking lot, get down between two cars and speak. Are you going to do that? Because you can't do it in that church. You can't exercise the Holy Ghost in that church. They'll ask you to leave. They will not accept it. And yet, the Bible says this is a part of the church. God put it in the church. We'll say more about that next week, I'm sure. Jesus sent his people out and he said, preach a word. Preach the word. He sent them out preaching. And they turned away from him, didn't they? When Jesus preached the Bible, when he spoke the scripture to people, a lot of them turned away. Uh uh-uh. Read the last few verses of John. John six sixty-eight, I think. Many left off from following him. Because he was a little too strong. He said too clearly what it said. We could read it, we just don't want anybody talking about it. Why? Because of convictions. What do convictions mean? It means change. You can no longer live outside of those convictions because a conviction is a God-ordered belief. A preference is, I would prefer to do this that way, but you know, under enough pressure, I'll get out. But not a conviction. You'll die for that. you got no other choice. Convictions. And there's just a lot of religious systems, folks. They don't want to hear what you believe. They don't want to know what you believe. We're never going to be popular and highly sought out. Jesus was not popular during his day. They had to bribe Judas to point out which one of them was Jesus. They didn't know who he was. They didn't care who he was. The greatest moment on this earth, and most people in the world didn't know it, and the ones that did could care less, like the Pharisees. And you sit down to listen to him, Jesus shot pretty straight. Because the only thing God will ever use to make you free is truth. Because he said, you shall know the truth. Not a half truth, not a partial truth, but the truth. And the truth is what God will use to make you free. People don't like your convictions. Some of you left the churches you were in and came here because of your convictions. You couldn't live the way God was showing you to live where you were and you had to leave. Or you had left a church and there was nothing left. And so you came here for something. You wanted to hear the word. And yet while you're here, I say to you, you study for yourself. You find out for yourself. I'll tell you best that I can what is right. And I'm never knowingly lie to anybody. I can be wrong, but I would never knowingly be wrong. But you make up your own decisions. Hopefully we don't have any boundaries around here except whatever you do, make sure it's according to the word. You're not going to live together and fool around together and drink and carouse and act like the village idiot. And be a part of Shelbyville Christian Assembly. That's not what God wants us to be like. Because God has drawn the line for us. You folks are pretty narrow. We're probably so narrow we can look through a keyhole with both eyes open. 
Do they still have keyholes? Maybe I'm dating myself again. I think they push buttons now and doors open. But our convictions. How many people appreciate your stand on holidays? Christmas. Christmas. Where did it come from? Can anybody figure out where Christmas came from? Uh, Matthew's Gospel. Mass, Christmas. No, no. It came from the Catholics, the Catholic Church. Years 300 and something, maybe the 4th or maybe the 5th century. Somebody asked me not long ago, do you all, do you? I think he said, I can't speak for everybody. I don't know what people do. They may have a little something up in the attic. I don't know. But they said, you don't believe in Christmas? I said, no. Why not? It's just not in the Bible. You know what they look at you like? Not in the Bible, so. Everybody does it. Well, everybody minus two. You have one or three or four, you're fine. But I don't do it. It's not in the Scripture. I don't do Easter. I just don't because there's no such holiday. In the New Testament, the only time they gave gifts to each other, like at Christ's Mass time, the only time they gave gifts to each other in all the Bible was in Revelation What, 11? When the two witnesses died in the street and the world was so happy because they'd been tormented by these two guys talking the word. They were so glad they finally died that they sent gifts to each other. (laughs) Well, and we send gifts to each other and then fret over that debt we accumulated in January and February. It's so easy to see through all of that. All of these days that people like to celebrate the big church up in Indianapolis years ago, driving by a big, independent, premillennial, fundamental church, the biggest Halloween house in Indianapolis. I think, I think, have any of you all, with all your schooling and all of your studying, and I'm sure the books and all your advanced Christianity, have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever made it that what you do everything by? You mean I would leave somewhere that I'm just challenged all the time and go join something like that? I'd be a part of that? What would they say to you when you don't do, we wish you, da, 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 da. what are they going to say to you when you don't sing that? What's wrong with you? I don't believe that. You don't believe what? Christ Mass, I don't believe that. Well, what are you doing here? I really don't know. I sure must have made a wrong turn. I sure must have made a wrong turn. Talk about marriages. Talk about remarriages. Talk about divorce and remarriage and see how happy everybody gets. Talk about Disney World and all the little occult items in Disney World, all the witches and the goblins and the little... Things that you bought your kid's t-shirt. Got the little snow white and the seven demons on it. I'm sorry, seven dwarfs on it. Peter Pan fluttering through the air. That's not even real. Hey, there is no Santa Claus either. Those are the fabrications of mine for the entertainment of children so that they can pick up a spirit early in their life that will be hard to get rid of later. 
Because they're going to enjoy that so much that when you preach against it, they're going to rebel against you. How the devil masters the minds of so many people. Talk about lodges, secret orders, calling brothers heathens, taking an oath to do things that God would never, ever approve of. But, you know, other Christians do it, so, you know, what's wrong with that? What's right with it? Oh, people are offended. That guy visited my house the next morning after I've talked to kids about it. I've told you about it. He was a lieutenant commander, Brother Bill, early at my house. Want to know why I had to teach on stuff like that? I said, well, it's a scripture. The Bible says. Yes, but don't you think, well, Bill, the Bible says. I know, okay, but you got to look, but the Bible says, and he said to me, I'll never forget, he said, can you say anything except the Bible says? See, they want to leave it out. I think, and later on in his life, he became a Methodist pastor somewhere. I don't know what he believed, but if he had trouble with going by the word, I don't know what all them people that are under him are going to believe. Are they going to live without hope? Are they going to be taught darkness and never escape the snares of this life? Or never have a chance to escape? What happens when you talk about divine healing? Oh, brother. There was a time that, you know, when I first got saved, the biggest thing going around, the most, uh, was speaking in tongues. And right beside it as its first cousin was Christmas. And hanging on like a little brother, following those two was divine healing. Whoever heard such? You think it's been in the Bible from the book of Exodus 15, 26 to Deuteronomy 23, Deuteronomy 15, Proverbs 4, Isaiah 53, Psalms, name one. Thank you. And in the New Testament, all the way through to the back, James 5, the prayer of faith, it's been in there all that time. And man couldn't see it. You know why? He didn't want to see it. And because within his heart he didn't want to see it, God didn't let him see it. You want to join that? You want to say, that's where God put me? You're deceived. We're going forward, hopefully, and not backwards. We're not going well sometimes. We may struggle, but at least we're going unrestrained. You're free to learn. You're free to learn all of these kind of things. We talk about living by faith, getting out of politics. We're sojourners and pilgrims in this world. We don't have political candidates that we're going to support and stand with, you don't even know if they're Christian or not. Oh, he believes the Bible, does he? Is that why he stands up and accuses his opponent of being such a dastardly fellow and speaking evil against him when the Bible said you don't do that? You don't speak evil about any man. Oh, he did. I'll tell you one thing, vote for me. You really think that the Bible supports that? We're talking about essential to my salvation, folks, is living according to this word. How about worship? How about worship? What would happen if I went back into some little something and it came time to worship and the organ began playing and you raised your hands? 
Just as I'm hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. People in front of you turn around. See, when you're young, you do like that. When you get older, you have to turn your whole body around. (laughs) I rebuke that. But anyway, (laughs) you go in that little church and thank you, Jesus. The preachers pray it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yes, amen, amen, amen. And everybody turned around and said, what are you doing in here? We don't do that. You ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till I start praying in tongues. Well, I wouldn't go there to do that. But I'd hate to think I was there and God wanted me to and I was afraid to because of people. Then the fear of man has snared me. What about worship? Okay, folks, we're going to have us a threefold communion. Hey, we need to do that. We haven't done it in 10 years. A threefold communion. We're going to wash feet. And people never heard of such a thing and didn't even read John 13 yet. They go, what do you mean washing feet? What the Bible said in John 13, Jesus said, happy are you. Your Bible says it. Happy are you if you do these things. I don't mind being happy. I'm not offended at happiness. I like happiness. Threefold communion. We hear the word. We wash feet. That's a communion. And then we have a meal together, a big agape feast. How many times was the church I was in ever do that? None. And they would not have done it. Would never have allowed it. The board would have voted against it. Because what they believed was of the traditions of men and not of God. Turn to Matthew 28. For that 3500 time, 3500 times we've been here. Matthew 28, the last verse of Matthew. This is a great commission. You know this. Verse 20. Well, he said, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. And what did he say in verse 20? Teaching them what? To observe all things whatsoever I have suggested that you do. Does your Bible say all things I have commanded? Okay, listen to me. Is that not our requirement? It is. Look, I know we're in the flesh, and I know that all of this isn't easy. I know that some kind of grasp it quicker than others and seem to do it a little more efficiently than others, but we can all do whatever God said to do because when He called us, He equips us. He enables us. And He says, you teach the people to observe not what they traditionally have observed or what pleases them to hear from you but whatever I have commanded you preach that and he lost people with what he said and he said you preach the same thing does that mean we're going to be hated in John 7 7 he said of course you're going to be hated the words of this book aren't going to bring you favor with man you're one of those they whisper about when you go by. You know, he doesn't believe in or You know, they believe in this or they don't believe in this or they believe in that. Somebody once said, well, you know, that church doesn't believe in doctors. Well, a lot of people do. What if I were to say, listen how offensive this is. You mean you people don't believe in God? You say, well, you all don't believe in doctors? Wait a minute, you don't believe in God? 
Has God said anything about your situation? Is there anything in the Bible about what you can do or what you can believe or what you can call upon Him for? Is there anything in here that reveals His will about that? Well, why don't you do that? Why do you linger after the systems of this world and the ways of flesh? Why don't you just take God at His word? Let me tell you what it says. They say, I don't want to hear it. Let me preach it. I'm going to come back. Well, I'm going to preach it anyway. This is my salvation. This is what belongs to us. This is what people don't like to hear. Even on the radio. If somebody... A radio. Radio. I like the E in radio. Radio. Even on the radio, people call in on a talk show and somebody invariably will mention God. Or the scripture. And everything goes into haywire. And the host on the radio say, <laughs> Is there something about the Bible that bothers people? Even Christians. You can get this good member of a church and sit them down in your office on some issue and start talking to them about the Bible and they'll get offended. Would they offend you? They wouldn't offend me. The only thing that would offend me would be error. And if, if I know what it is, I know how to correct it. But there's people who don't want to know. Again, I'll say this. I don't know why. I don't know what it is that people who get their eyes open, they come out of a, well, we all moved here and came here from something, came here to get our eyes open and to grow, get our lives in order to find out how we can please God. That's our goal, how we may please God. The whole purpose of man in the study of ethics is how he may please God. How can I do it? By living according to his commandments. Would you teach them to me? As much as I understand them, I will. I don't know everything about this book. I'll tell you what I know. Not just what works for me, because there's some things I'm still struggling with, like you. But I'm going to do it. Yes, I will. I'll teach you that. But you have to keep coming. And draw up your lip. And quit whining. And quit crying. And quit complaining. <laughs> quit that. Hush. Count it a joy to hear the word of God. Amen. So, even amongst the church folks, some of my biggest enemies in this life, the people that have had the hardest time with me were church people. You know why? Because I believed something that they would not. And I could show, this is what the Bible says. They didn't want to hear it. I just assumed you get out of here. They didn't say that, but that's what they mean. Get out of here. Don't come back. A preacher called me about three years ago from down in southern Illinois. I'd been to his church once many years ago. I guess it was pretty hard. I didn't know it was hard. It didn't seem hard to me. But if you've never heard it, then everything's hard. He said, hey, Brother Tom, remember me? And he mentioned his name. I said, yeah, uh, Southern Illinois. He said, yeah, down there. Remember you came here? Yeah, yeah. Well, I haven't heard about you in a while. I just wondered, are you still preaching? Yeah. I said, yes. Not, yeah. <laughs> I said, yes. I said, yeah. I remembered the church and all of it kind of came back for a moment. I thought... So he wants me to get out there somewhere in Illinois so he can shoot me and nobody find me, see. <laughs> so he said, 
You still preaching that faith message? I said, yeah, sure am. All right, all right. Well, I just, just want to see how you were doing. Lord bless you. <laughs> you know what his problem was? That faith message. That God's way or no way message. That trusting in the Lord. That giving up all your security blankets and just following after the Lord. It may take a while to do that, but doing it that way, boy, he didn't want to hear. Oh, my goodness. Didn't want to hear it. Do you believe that when you live this way, you're offensive? Do you believe when you answer a person with the Bible, that makes you offensive to people? I don't mean you have to all the time, or sometimes you, God wouldn't have you say anything. Besides, when I go in the store to buy groceries, I didn't go in there to preach. Somebody says, you believe in God? I sure do. You want to hear about it? You believe in divine healing? Do you believe in divine sickness? I wonder why we never ask him that. Do you believe in divine sickness? Of course I believe in divine healing. Why wouldn't I? Why, why wouldn't I? I mean, the Bible is full of it. Why wouldn't I believe that? And yet, in the average church, they wouldn't. Why? They have eyes to see, but what? They have ears to hear, but they can't hear because only God can open man's eyes and only God can open a man's ears and only the Holy Ghost can give perception or understanding or comprehension to what you heard. No other way to know it. No other way. We speak about faith and we're hated for it. We speak about faith and we're misunderstood. I occasionally hear rumors through the years been in this town for a long time. I hear rumors about what other people or in other churches say about me or about that church, which is you. And I think, well, that's right. That church believes, you know, you ought to just trust in God. Well, that's pretty easy to understand that, isn't it? And they talk about all the other things that they don't understand. They don't want to hear a lot of other things. Turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 19. The Bible said this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world. Remember, if they speak not according to this word, they have no what? And when light comes, they don't want it. And light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. No wonder Paul wrote the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and will turn aside their ears from the truth and they will turn aside to fables and myths and concoctions of man. The very thing that Jesus spoke of as a tradition of men. You have made the word of God ineffective or of no effect by your traditions. And people love your traditions more than they love the word because you love your traditions more than you love the word. Whatever the spirit is coming out of the pulpit is going to affect the people listening. Wherever you go. Whatever you're listening to. If they speak not according to this word, they have no light. I don't understand this. I just heard a report this week that people that have been in this walk for a long time have gone back to doing Christmas. That's one of the early death signs. Gone back to celebrating 
Christmas. Christmas has nothing to do, nothing to do with the Bible. Nothing. It's concoctions called fables. It's the concoctions of the fertile mind of man. And people like that. Because there's not only a little suspense in it, there's a warm glow to it. Didn't matter that Jesus wasn't born at the end of the year. Born probably in the fall. September, October, somewhere in that area. Six months after John the Baptist, who was born in the spring. Doesn't matter if you give facts. Doesn't matter if you read Wikipedia or any other encyclopedia. People don't want to know the facts. We're going to do it anyway. And why is it that when you leave something like this or you're something you were in dissolved and it's no longer and you stay out of it, you stay away from it, and you depend on maybe a tape every now and then or maybe a little fellowship once in a while, and you go back. You just drift back into the way you once were. The same old traditions you once went through deliverance from are now coming back. And the same hang-ups you used to have, you've regained them. And the people, the preachers like myself who used to be so dogmatic, legalistic, you're saying it again. No love. They have no love. Love. I don't know how many people know what love is. I really don't. The greatest of all virtues that man can ever know is love. In this world. And love permeates the next one. Because God is love. But you get that out of kilter and everything now is like that. You won't take a stand. You won't oppose error. You won't separate yourself from others because how loving is that? Does the Bible still say that? Come out from among them and be separate? Or does the scripture still say something about separating yourself from what is wrong? Paul spoke about it. But there's no love in that. How could you be a loving Christian and separate yourself from other people? You know what? Your love is to God first. On the basis of His Word first. Was it love to say that God chose who were His from the foundation of the world? Is that love? Is love the potter and the clay making out of it whatever pleases Him? Love from you is devotion and dedication to God. To live... According to that book, Jesus said specifically in John 14, If a man loves me, he will keep my word. And the Father and I shall visit him and shall make ourselves known to him. It's called a relationship that grows deeper and deeper. Love demands at times you walk away. Love at times demands that a father tell his children a warning. I'm telling you, brother or sister, son, daughter, whatever, whoever, if you want to stay in this house, you're not going to do that again. If you do, you're out. Is that love? 
Is it hatred against what they're doing wrong and evil? Is it wrong to hate? Is it wrong to hate sin? Is it wrong to hate evil? Well, of course it is. It's not wrong. I mean, it's right to hate evil. You hate what God hates, the psalmist said. So a lot of people have changed what the Bible says, misinterpreted. The Bible, Peter referred to this as resting the Scriptures. Remember that Peter spoke about in Second Peter 3, 16, he said concerning the Scripture that Paul preached said the unlearned and the unstable rest the Scriptures. They twist the Scriptures. It doesn't mean what it said. It's like when the preacher says, now look, we know here that you must obey God, but let's look, look, look. God's bigger than we are. And when he says we must obey God, really, literally, he means that, you know, it's what we ought to strive to do and try to do. But being in the flesh in this life, you can't always do everything God said. Most everything he says over our heads anyway. So what he means is we should just do the best that we can. People like that because you don't have to do it anymore. And yet God hates that. That kind of teaching is an abomination to God. Because you're resting and you're twisting and distorting the scripture. Read the end of Revelation to see how God feels about his word and you changing it. Or you misrepresenting it. Or read about James about those who teach the word are going to have the greater judgment for what they taught. You teach it wrong, you're going to get hammered. You mislead people or you become deceitful or erroneous or you're preaching to get money, fame and favor and advancement, you're going to die for it. You're not going to preach the word. You're going to preach what sells. And that's what a lot of people want. But it's death. Remember, there is a way that seems right. It's the way of death. I don't care how right it looks, how big it is. How many people are in it? How many millions of dollars they give to missions? Which is a good thing. But none of those things save you. None of that ensures your salvation. In this life as a Christian, first and foremost, when God saves you, you have to come face to face with this book. This alone is right. From here on, for the rest of your regenerated life, you got to live this way. If the preacher, wherever you are, isn't saying what this says, you need to go somewhere else. Because you can't let anybody hold you back. you got to be free. And in closing this morning, turn to Deuteronomy 32, verse 44. And Moses came and spoke all the words of this song in the ears of the people. He and Hoshea, the son of Nun. And Moses made an end of speaking all these words to all Israel. And he said unto them, and he said unto Shelbyville, Kentucky, and whoever you are, wherever you are, anywhere out there, set your hearts Set your hearts unto all the words which I speak or I testify among you this day, which you shall command your children. I don't have time. Well, you better take time. You shall command your children to observe to do all the words of this law. For, verse 
47, for it is not a vain thing for you because it is your life. And through this thing, you shall prolong your days in the land. What is my life? It's the word. This is my life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. But we started with this. Let me finish with this. Timothy, preach the word. Don't preach systems. Don't preach Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, Christian Church, Episcopalian, Catholic Assembly of God, Church of God. Don't preach any group theology. Preach the word. All of those groups will some way keep you from walking a deeper walk. All of them will. You'll find opposition there. But you cannot let yourself do that. Make the big decision. Separate yourself. Apply your heart to this word, for this is your life. Amen. Now next week, we have the second application. That's the Holy Spirit. Because how can you understand the word without the Holy Spirit? We only have a word, but it's a dead letter without the Spirit. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, cause our hearts to embrace and our minds to embrace the Word of God. Help us to grasp and search for an understanding of it. Give us courage as Moses told Joshua, be very courageous to do all that is written in it. For there are many people and many groups of people in this world that don't want us to do it. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be so committed to you that we're no longer afraid of what man thinks. Bless this crowd before me this morning. Bless those who are watching somewhere else or those who listen to the disc. Help us stay on this journey, Lord, to please you, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from the man's